invite you to turn uh, to the book of Luke, and I'm going to start in a in a, a place we don't think about a lot, and then uh, let's go to uh, chapter three, Luke chapter three and verse twenty three, and I, I want to show you why genealogies in the Bible are important. Those are those places where it says, and -and so-and-so begat so-and-so and and begat so-and-so. And And if you're reading the Bible, uh, if you're not careful, your eyes start glazing over and you start kind of falling asleep because it's not near as exciting to read the genealogies as it is to read the fact that David slung a sling and put a stone in Goliath's forehead or or, or read all of the the other parts of the Bible. But today I want to show you uh, why genealogies can be fun and can be powerful. So let's look at Luke chapter 3 and verse 23. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, and the son, as was supposed Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of uh, Metat, the son of Le- Levi, the son of Malachi, the son of Jani, and I'm probably not going to pronounce all of these appropriately, the son of Joseph, son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Ahim, the son of uh, uh, Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Matthias, the son of Matthias, the son of Simeon, the son of Josheth, the son of Jodah. See how sometimes it's a little tiring, especially when you're trying to make a, or you know see those names in your mind and come up with the uh, 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 pronunciations of them. The son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of uh, Shatil, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adiah, the son of Kosium, of El Madam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, Eleazar. I'm gonna kind of skip. Uh, uh, Joram, Matthew, Levi, Simeon, Judah, Joseph, Jonam, Elkim, Minia, Matthew, Nathan, David, Jesse, Obed, Boaz, uh, Salah, Asian, Abinadab, Admin, Harnai, Hezron, Perez, Judah. Now we're where we recognize some of these. Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sarug, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, uh, that next one, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Thuzalah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of next one, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. We begin to look at how all of those genealogies and generations play a part. I want to focus on the ones that are a little more, um, the ones we kind of recognize a little bit more. And in doing so, I want to take you to the book of Genesis chapter 5. So if you would, we turn with me to Genesis chapter 5, and if you will give me a brief moment to go through this, and then I'm going to put something on the screen after this that hopefully you'll be able to see and it'll make some sense and then I want to build and grow from there. This is the book of the generations of Adam. Of course, again, I'm reading from the English version. You may be reading from a different version. That when God created man, made him in the likeness of God, male and female, he created them and he blessed them and he named them man when they were created. And here's, I want you to kind of pay attention to these numbers. When Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years old and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. 
When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 115 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he when Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered uh, Mahalilil. And when Kenan lived after he fathered him, he lived 840 years. Other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalilil lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Uh, Mahalilil lived after he fathered Jared 830 years. He had other sons and daughters, thus the days of he was 895 years, and he died. When Jared lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after fathered Enoch 800 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 162 years and died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah eight, or, or 300 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lech eight, uh, 782 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah, 969 years, and he died. It's a long time to live. While you look at our life and you, you think about how, how long we've lived, and then all of a sudden it's kind of, man, you know, I, w- I would have just been a kid. 39 years old, 900 years, 800 years. I want to show you something. If they'll put this up screen, hopefully it translates to y'all in the back can see it. If not, you can get on your phone and you can Google patriarch, biblical patriarch's timeline. Uh, one of the things that's interesting is to look and begin to kind of put together it, 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 when the Bible gives us how old they were when they had a child, how long they lived after, you begin to put them together, you begin to find some interesting things at, that you find. And again, you can go and find these by the school. So if you can't see it in the back, I'll give you permission as long as you don't go into ESPN. Get your phone out, go type in biblical patriarchs, and you can find the same thing. But what it says is that, that Adam died... When Methuselah was really about 187 years old, that Seth died. When, when Seth died, Lamech had been born for about 182 years, give or take. When, when, when Noah was born, Noah was born, and, and he would have been able to meet Methuselah and Lamech. He would have been able to meet Jared and Mahiliel and Canaan and Enosh, Adam, when Adam died at 930, Methuselah was 243 years old. Seth, when he died, Lamech was 168. Enos, when he died, Noah was 84, and on and on, and you can see all of that. Now, we, we, we've discussed there's interesting things when it comes to the names of, of people that are born. For example, you've heard me preach, and I'm sure you remember, that, that we, we talk about, um, you know, uh, uh, the names of different ones and what it means, Jacob, Jacob, that name, that, that name means niver, it means cheat, it means a planter. 
Later on, God got a hold of Jacob and said, I don't want that to be your name anymore. I don't want that to be your pest anymore. I'm going to name you Israel, which means you were a prince with God. And so you realize that names meant something. And Enoch is this interesting character in the Bible. You don't have a lot of knowledge of him other than a few verses, but he's one of the two people in the Bible that did not have a physical death, the other one being Elijah who went up in a chariot of fire. Enoch walked God. It, it, it tells us in that phraseology that Enoch was righteous. He had a relationship with God. He, he walked them. He, he, he understood it. He was a righteous man. And because of that, God decided just to take him home, and, and he was not. And he fathered Methuselah. Methuselah has an interesting name. Now, we, we got to talking, uh, me and Bob Hickey and Anthony Babb and Brother Steve Hickey uh, over lunch while we were working on the baptismal. And there, there's some other uh, writings that are not included in the Bible. They're not included in the canon, but they find them. There's what they call the Book of Enoch, and uh, there's the First and Second Maccabees. It's, it's put together in what they call the Apocrypha. And some of it has some good writing in it. Some of it has some good history in it. You can read that. It does not carry the same weight uh, that the Bible carries. It's not the inspired word of God. But uh, it's interesting to look at it as a historical perspective. You talk to the rabbis and in rabbinical uh, literature, which is uh, what the Jews would tell you and, and their history and the way that they look at these patriarchs and they have their own stories and their own understanding of them. Many scholars and commentaries will tell you that Enoch uh, operated as a priest, if you will. He, was, he, he loved being in the presence of God and around God. He was a righteous man. And he instilled that in his son, Methuselah. What's interesting is when you begin to look at the name of Methuselah and what it means, and there's different ways that it's translated, but one commonly translated way is, is that Methuselah means when he dies, judgment comes. When he dies, judgment comes. And so, so the rabbis will tell you that God in that close relationship that God had with Enoch, that God began to show Enoch that he was going to have to do something. The, 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 they were, the world was fast spinning out of control. The world was, was starting. You know what it says in Noah. It says when Noah came around, Noah was the only righteous man that they could find. Everybody was doing what right in their own eyes. They, they, it was a horrible scenario, and God decided to send the flood. Well, the, some of the rabbis will tell you that God began to tell Enoch that there's a judgment coming. And in a prophetic, perhaps, naming of his son, he said that the year that Methuselah dies, the judgment of God is coming. What's interesting is that when you begin to put all of the timelines together, and if you, you wanted to do it, I, I was doing it, I, I also could go and find it and find it everywhere. If you put all the timelines together, the timelines will tell you that Methuselah died the year the flood came. There's a long time that the ark possibly took over uh, almost a hundred years build, and so it's very possible and, and that that Methuselah may have even helped the ark or have been around. And you have this understanding of Methuselah. 
I begin to look at that and I begin to, to see Methuselah in a better light, I realized something that jumped out at me. Methuselah was the only person that could reach back and touch Adam while simultaneously live in a world that was destined to be lost. Can you imagine what it would have been like to know Adam? I mean, we, we think Adam and, and Cain and Abel and then Seth, but can you imagine they've lived 900 and something years, at least Adam did. And, and I have to imagine that portion of that time, Methuselah was able to talk to Adam about what it was like to live in the Garden of Eden in that paradise and that perfection. That what it would have been like to, to have sinned and come short of the glory of God and been kicked out of the garden, those stories. Can you imagine the reunions that people had? You know, some of y'all go to family reunions and, you know, you got a couple generations. You know, sitting there, you're talking to someone who's like 700 years old and 600 years old. The stories that they could have told. Adam could have could have relayed so many times over those years. He could have relayed how sad and how uh, sorry he was that he had allowed sin to enter in and to tempt. And uh, I, I find the 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 way that that Moses wrote Moses wrote Genesis. I find it interesting how he uses because in, in the first uh, part of Genesis chapter five, it says that God created man and he made them. In the image of God. We use that term. We're made in the image of God. But when it comes to Seth, says Seth was made in the image of Adam. Seth entered in. Seth carried that residual effects of sin's downfall. Uh, uh, they, they were destined to die now as sinful creatures. While I don't there's not much that, there's only about three times that Methuselah is mentioned. There's, I think, in First Chronicles, and it's part of a genealogy. I, I just read it in Luke, chapter, in Luke chapter 3, I believe, and here in Genesis chapter 5. There's not much that's known of Methuselah's life in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, the scriptures. But if you begin to look at what the rabbis say, if you begin to look at, at tradition, if you begin to look at, at all of that, they will say that Methuselah was a righteous man that spent his time along with Noah saying we've got to get back to where God wants to be. I, I, I can see Methuselah remembering how his father walked with God, remembering how his father was righteous, and now Methuselah has lived many years past his father's, and he's seeing the downfall of, of society, and he's seeing the downfall of mankind, and now Noah's own, own board, and perhaps Noah shared with Methuselah the voice of God that had spoken to him and said, Noah, I'm, I'm going to build an ark and, 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 and only those that are in the ark are going to be saved. I'm going to destroy the earth. And perhaps Methuselah even wielded a hammer a time or two or maybe Methuselah tried to get people to get on the ark along with Noah who the Bible says a preacher of righteousness and trying to teach and, and get people right with God. And then God chooses to take Methuselah before the flood came before the ark come, and Methuselah has this unique place in Scripture where he could reach back and touch the beginning, but yet he was there at the end. I was reading that and, and allowing it to just, first off, just see it as the history that it is. 
But God began to speak to me the longer I looked at that and I would go to sleep and, and lay down and, and, and just it, it, it just put over my mind. And I realized that he and I are in the same position that Methuselah is. I'm not talking about the length of years. I'm not talking about the, the longevity of life. But the church of the living God is uniquely situated to reach all the way back to the Gospels, all the way back to when Matthew and Mark and Luke and John walk with Jesus, and we reach with one hand all the way back to the beginning. But yet my Bible tells us that when God calls the church home, there's a judgment like no other coming. The moment that this church ceases to exist, I'm not talking about the lighthouse in its, in its, you know, just who we are. I'm talking about the church of the living God. I'm talking about the church that was birthed on the book of, in the in the beginning of the book of Acts and still is strong day. The church that is made up of many congregations and many people. But the moment this church no longer exists on this earth. That judgment that God talks about, he says, no longer will I destroy the earth by a flood again. I promise with that with a, with a uh, uh, rainbow. I'm never going to do that again. But the next time I destroy the earth, it's going to be with fire. Hell, fire, and brimstone. And there is a judgment day coming. And the mission of the church, it's something that I am, I'm, I'm, fixated on right now, heard me preach over this last month in December about the gift that God has given to the church and why you and I matter to the fact of the church and why you're a part of the church and why you're here. The mission of the church is this. With one hand, we reach back to the beginning. We reach back to where Jesus spoke to the apostles and told them, this is what you must do. Except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He said, this is what's going to happen. And then we go all the way back to that day of Pentecost where God began to let promises that he had been promising three and a half years walking with those disciples come to effect. I got to go away, guys, but I won't leave you comfortless. I've got to go away. You're used to seeing walk with you, Peter, and you're used to be able to put your arm around me. You're used to eating with me, but I can't live on this forever. I'm going home. I'm going back to heaven. I'm going back to glory. But there is a comfort coming that is the Holy Ghost. It's that promise. And so the church, you and I, are uniquely situated to reach back to the beginning, yet also reaching right now to the end time, to that moment where it just seems that at any moment, God say, I'm ready. What did Peter tell us? Peter says, the Lord is long suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But he also reminds us that that long suffering of God has a limit. And there will be a day that God closes the books. And he says, I'm, I've given mankind enough time. I've done all I can. I've let Moses, Moses, I've let Noah build the ark for over a hundred years, it seems. I've given them plenty of time. Now I'm shutting the door and I'm letting the rains come. There's going to be a day where God says, I've given this world plenty of time. I'm shutting the doors of the church. I'm calling the church home. And judgment's coming. It's the mission of the church.
What do you do if if you're Methuselah who has that ability to reach back to Adam yet also reach to Noah and the flood? What do you do with that knowledge? Do you sit back and and just kind of enjoy life and say, well, I've had a long uh, uh, life, it's a good life and everything's great? Do you take some some kind of responsibility and say, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to bring them back to what God planned in the beginning. I read a, a, I skimmed it because honestly it made me mad and, and, and I, I don't like being mad so I quit reading it. But I read an article today, it was, I don't even know who wrote it and, and why they wrote it, but it said the church needs to learn three words in uh, 2019, I am sorry. And it went on to talk about how the church needs to apologize for the stands that it's taken and how they've been so dogmatic with the Bible and they've almost made the Bible a, a, a standalone God. And it just made me mad because I be, the, the more I read it, the more I said the church has nothing to apologize about. Now, a person need to apologize. A pastor need to apologize. Somebody might have done something wrong. So I, I'm, I'm not against apologizing. But the church living God does not have to apologize because it reaches all the way back to what God told it to do and still following what God said to do. Let's get some of the things that God did. I don't have time to do it all, and I, I, I wish I could, but let's look at at the end of Matthew. Would you turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 29? Or Matthew 28, rather. Matthew 28, let's look at uh, verse 16. This is some of the last words recorded by Jesus uh, that Matthew recorded. And so this is what God says, this is what I want the church to do. Let's read all the way back there. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain Jesus had directed them. They saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubt. And Jesus came and said unto him, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. As a church... My mission is to reach all the way back to the gospel and then reach all the way forward to the end and make sure I connect those day with what God told them then. Let's look at Mark chapter 16, the Great Commission. Mark chapter 16 and verse 14. Now what you have to do when you begin to read the Bible, if, uh, I know brother, brother Lee, he has and, and still holds his commission uh, with the law enforcement, and so uh, he's been a police officer and, and all that, so he knows what I'm doing. You probably take a few accident reports in your time. and if, if, if you're involved in an accident or you see an accident, police will come and they'll ask you, what did you see? And those police will get four or five different accident reports, and what's amazing is a lot of times not one of those reports match the other because we all see things just a little bit differently. Some of the guys, all they're focused on is the car, how awesome the car was, how many horsepower the car was, and, and, and what color the car was, and somebody else only interested in, they didn't even see a car, they saw was the people involved. Some tech, you know, technophile, you would have just seen the, 
the you know the cell phone or the MacBook that got crunched in the accident, and that would have that been all you see because we all have different perspectives. And so when you read all these great commissions, read them in the lenses of those that wrote gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. See how they all saw the same thing. And here's what Mark accounted. Mark chapter 16 and verse 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those that believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons. They'll speak in new tongues. They'll pick up serpents with their hands. They'll, if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out, and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Can I tell you what I, what I want to do in my life as part of the church of the living God? I want to be able to reach back to what Jesus told the disciples and said, this is what I want you to do. And here, I want to be able to reach back and touch that great commission, but also reach forward and look at a world that's being judged by God and say, am I doing that today? It was, look at Luke chapter 24. You can look at verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you were witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You begin to see all of the things that, that, the, that Jesus commissioned them to do. The Great Commission. Look at the book of, of John. And you can begin to see in verse 21. And, and he doesn't have quite the same uh, commissions that the other ones, but you can see he says that this disciple who is bearing witness about these things, who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. There's many other things that Jesus did were one of them to be written. I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that should or would be written. And then we jump into the book of Acts. And the book of Acts just picks up right where God said it was going to pick up. And so they were there. They came together. They asked, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, uh, as they were looking, he was lifted up. A cloud took him from their sight while they were gazing into heaven as he went. Behold, two men stood by him in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why why do you stand here gazing into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And they go to Jerusalem. They're in the upper room. Acts chapter 2 and the Holy Ghost falls. 
And that church, birthed there in the book of Acts, is the same church that we are a part of today. 2,000 years has passed, maybe more. Nothing's changed. Your mission is to reach back, as Methuselah would have done, reach back to Adam, reach back to the beginning and try to connect this world today with how it should be. The Great Commission, the gospel and, 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 and salvation in the gospel in the book of Acts, the Bible says we are called to preach the gospel. The gospel is the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the life of Jesus. It's the teachings of Jesus. If I was only given Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I could preach everything I need to preach just with what Jesus said. I'm glad that we have Acts and Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians because they, 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 they build off of that and they go back and they pull what Jesus said and they put it to, to use. But if all I had was Jesus' words, I would be able to preach just as hard as I preach now. And so your mission is not to debate. Your mission is not to try to sway anybody's mind. Your mission is to simply preach Jesus, Him crucified him buried and resurrected the book of Acts is the effect cause and effect you're familiar with that cause and effect there's a cause and effect something the book of Acts was the effect of the gospel of Jesus Christ what we have when we come to church and begin to clap our hands and lift our hands and worship is the effect because Jesus came he died he was buried and he rose again and my mission is to reach back with everything I can and do what Jesus taught and connect it to a world that's being judged. I've often thought about it over the last week or so. I've often thought about uh, Methuselah and everything he went through. Some of you that lived longer than I have, you kind of understand what I'm talking about. There's times that you begin to reflect and you say, man, this, this world's it's going downhill fast. Society's going downhill fast. You kind of begin to see that. Can you imagine Methuselah? 969 years old. He had seen a lot. And he realized how far man had gone. But he could still hear the voice of one who had walked with God. He could hear Adam's I can see Adam sitting around the family reunion and his eyes would kind of glaze over us. He'd, he'd be off somewhere else. He'd tell you, oh, what it was like to walk in the cool of the garden and be with God. He would reminisce with a quiver in his voice and a tear in his eye on how Satan came and reared its ugly head into their life. Oh, all of the problems that sin has wrought. Perhaps, oh Adam, grab hold of Methuselah with some shaking hands and grab him by the lapels and shake him and say, Methuselah, don't make the mistakes I've made. Remember, remember Enoch who walked with God and God took him. Remember your dad. It doesn't have to be this way. There's a promise coming. There's a promise coming. I want to have that same urgency. I want to have that same fervor. 
to hear the voice of those that have gone before. It says, Brandon, remember what it's supposed to be. Don't, don't let church be a, a, a evolution of something. Let it go back to the beginning. Look at the book of Acts. That's why I'm trying to read the book of Acts almost every day or at least a portion of it every day because I, I want to make sure I'm, I'm following what did God intend the church to be. It's not a country club. It's not a play. I mean, I'm, I love the friendships that we make, but that's not the purpose of the church. The church is not called to pat us all on the back and make us feel good all the time. The church is called to seek, to reach, to receive the power that God gave you when you were filled with the Holy Ghost and to be witnesses in the, to the whole world. What are you telling them? There's a God that loves you, a God that died for you, God that has a purpose for your life but there's a judgment coming as well you got to marry the two you got to marry the promise to the judgment so the ark is being built if you will Noah is, is, is there I don't know if anybody listened in fact the Bible tells us no one else got on the ark Methuselah died before it started raining and it was just Noah and his family so God doesn't judge us by if people listen, he judges us by do we speak. Are you witnesses? Are you witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, to the uttermost parts of the world? Our mission is much like Methuselah. We bridge the past and we reach the future. I want us to stand today. There's a lot more that I could say with time to get away. and I've got some plans for this, this month as we talk a little bit more about what God's plan for this church is and what God's plan for you and I is. But you got to go back to the beginning. And you got to say, Lord, I want to follow everything that you taught us. And I challenge you, go read the Gospels. Now, I'm thankful that God's a loving God and a caring God and a gracious God, but He's a lot more than that. He's a lot more than just a God of love. Go read the, Beati- or the, the Sermon on the Mount. He covered everything from the Beatitudes to, to how you give, to how you pray and how you treat each other. He, Lord has a lot to say. And we'd be good to go back to see what He says and then reach forward and take that with us and bring it to somebody today. Would you close your eyes for a moment and would you just begin to let the Lord guide you Would you let him put a a burden inside of you to say, Lord, I want to do church the way you intended church to be. Lord, what did you intend for the church of the living God to do? What's the purpose? What's the calling? And am I a part of it, Lord? In Jesus' name.